tired of being the bottleneck in your business? Stop doing it all for yourself. Documents all of those repetitive tasks that eat up your precious time so you can grow your team and your business. As the CEO and founder of Sweet Process, Owen Megabanau helps enable company executives and their employees to collaborate together to quickly document and or improve their standard operating procedures, processes, and policies. Owen has many strengths and will help you level up in these areas. Negotiation, business planning, operations management, and business development. He is also going to share how your employees can streamline this document this documentation process excuse me and how to use the procedures they document to scale your business organize workflow and increase activity while cultivating a winning culture get excited because he's going to share these procedures to properly delegate the repetitive tasks so you can do more on your end of the business and help growing become a little easier for you and since we're joined today by an experienced ceo with a history of working in the internet industry I thought this week's spotlight story should resonate that a bit. And at the halfway point of today's show, we'll go over the journey of Josh Abraham, Josh Abramson, the founder of many companies. And the article is called Founder of a $6 billion company, came away with nothing, and he's okay with it. So I'm excited to get Owen's take on it. But before all that, Owen, why did you become an entrepreneur? What led you into entrepreneurship? So first of all, with that kind of intro, I, I think I want to listen to myself now. <laughs> Thanks, uh, Vincent. So yeah. why did I become an entrepreneur? I think uh, I think it's kind of an internal thing where, you know, when, when when you realize that, you know, you're working for somebody and then you realize that, you know, this is not cutting it because, you know, you feel like you could uh, bring more to the table and, and as a result of, owning your own business and stuff you can actually have more impact then you realize that hey maybe you know uh, working for somebody is not the the, the the way to go and you know to be honest you know, most people that i you know follow who um in some way or the other true their efforts are uh leaving some kind of legacy or some impact in people's lives that's lasting there's always some form of uh, entrepreneurship business behind it, right? Mm -hmm. You know, uh, so you know that's why one of the reasons that you know uh, being an entrepreneur makes sense. But not only that, you know, being able to control how you work, uh, your time, your focus, and all that. To a large extent, if you are an entrepreneur, you can do that. It's not going to be easy uh, because it's never easy. But uh, you know, uh, that's the that's go the, the the role you signed up for is to go through the hardship and all that stuff so that. You get at the end of the whole thing, you get that success, that freedom, that uh, legacy, that whatever you're trying to actually achieve. You yeah. can go into entrepreneurship, trying to achieve anything well said. Everyone's path is different. And a lot of us, we start having this entrepreneurial mindset in our current positions. We feel like we can do more than just the tasks we're being delegated. And there comes our own company. And lucky enough to carry this show on now almost three years. Of weekly interviews with amazing guests just like Owen. He's kicked us off. And with that, welcome back to That Entrepreneur Show. Thank you all for tuning in to another show. My name is Vincent A. Lancey, and I am excited to bring on Owen. Such an incredible history. I got to research all he's done, and now he's got his passion project here. And I think he's just getting started, too, after having to talk to him a little bit before the show. He's very ambitious, sweet processes, doing things that make your life easier, especially as an entrepreneur. If you have employees, 
And I'm excited as I start to grow my company more now with the TikTok employee, the illustrators. I need to learn how to be better, do better, because I believe the learning never stops unless you're ready to quit. You always have to keep learning. And as you know, my story, quitting is never an option. But I think we should start off the show by helping our audience here. Owen, what is one of your greatest lessons learned in entrepreneurship? So one of the things I think that uh, I want to leave with the listeners is as an entrepreneur, you are actually uh, you know, the, the leader of the company. But when people think leader, you, you, you think like, oh, I'm the boss, you know, my, my way or the highway. But the reality is that you are the, uh, you know, the person who's supposed to be the, the chief cheerleader, the, the, the chief person who's serving people to achieve mm-hmm. the best uh, outcome in whatever role they are. And, and sometimes that might mean uh, being able to help them carry their bags so that they can get to where they need to get to. So if you have that mindset of, you know, you, 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 you being an entrepreneur is, uh, first of all, you're solving a problem for your your customers, right? And hence they pay you. And then your employees, you are helping them uh, in, in, in whatever way or whatever to, to make them shine in their role so that they can do their best for your customers. So a lot of times is, is you really being a servant, is more of a servant leadership kind of thing, you know? So that is uh, one, one advice I have for uh, for people. And uh, another thing as an entrepreneur, you need to, as a CEO, you, 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 you need to learn how to delegate tasks but I think the best way of delegating tasks too, it comes from you actually being able to go in front and learn that task yourself. Because you don't necessarily need to know all the details, but at least know the concepts, know, 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 know the, the general framework so that when you delegate, you have some kind of uh, standpoint from which, you know, you can uh, justify the work being delivered. So yes, you're going to trust and verify and also give them the opportunity to shine their work. Uh, but if you don't know to a large extent how the work is going to be done or to a large extent, you know, how to achieve the, the goals with that role uh, because you've never done it, it becomes hard for you to uh, to measure the success that they're delivering. So be willing at, at certain points, you know, in, in, as a matter of fact, most times uh, to roll up your sleeve Go there, learn how it's done so that you can replace yourself with somebody who might be better uh, to do the work. I love that. And I think you may be only the second or third person to come on this show and enlighten our audience like this. And it may be the title of your show. You may own the company, but those you serve are the boss. They're the ones in charge. They're the ones calling the shots. You're trying to serve their needs, fill their wants, not our wants. And the reality is that if you think about it, by serving them to achieve what they want, you end up getting what you want anyways, right? So, yes. yeah, yeah, you, 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 it's win-win-win for everybody, <laughs> you know, because you're serving your clients to get what your clients, to give them what they want, right? Hence, yep. you're delivering your products and all that. And, you know, except you're running a company where everything is automated, you do need people to do the work. and employees have to come in and to make sure that they have high high morale, they have right uh, atmosphere, the right culture, the right camaraderie to do stuff. You you, you got to craft that. You got to make that happen. And, and you know, it, it comes to a lot of times with you being a servant leader to, to lead people. Obviously, there's some places where they have toxic environments where they, they thrive in that, but that's not for most people, you know. The, most people want to have same sanity and calmness and where they work and uh you know it's your role as an entrepreneur to make sure that that happens and this goes out your role as an so many hats that we wear as an entrepreneur i may be considered an author but i'm also in marketing doing my financing i now i'm not doing my emails but i'm wearing all the hats 
Well put there, Owen. But now I'd like to backtrack a bit. Let's talk about your business now. Let's let our audience know all things Sweet Process. Okay, so Sweet Process in a nutshell is a software that makes it so that you can build a one single software of truth online where you and your employees can go find instructions at any given time on how to do any recurring tasks, right? So you can create procedures, processes, and policies on your work. Not only can you create them, but you can also uh, continuously improve those documents over time because the reality is as you do the work, there'll be more insight on improvements and then you can have that go back, go back to sweep process and improve them. And on top of that, it also acts like a task management software where not only have you spent the time to create these documents on how the work is done, but you're, you're not doing that in a vacuum. You're doing that because you want people to actually get work done. So you can actually use our software to assign real work to people, knowing that when you assign work to them, they're never going to say, I don't know how the work is done. Because in order for you to assign a task to anybody in Sweet Process, the underlying procedure with instructions on how to do that very work they're about to work on is right there in front of them. So that's in a nutshell what Sweet Process does but i'm sure you want to know how we got started with sweet process or if you have another question i can go in of course i think our listeners would love to know now they know what you offer they know how you offer it but maybe they want to know why you offer it what was the leading factors that led you to become this entrepreneur well in in terms of this company great question so before sweet process started in the fourth quarter of 2013 and before that i used to run an agency where i would provide entrepreneurs here in the u.s uh, who have you know small to medium sized businesses uh, with uh, basically virtual assistant and back office staff who would do work for them, mm-hmm. but these people were based uh, in my uh, facility in in in, uh, uh, in the Philippines. And what had happened was a lot of people had read these books like the Four Hour Work Week, the uh, World is Flat, and books that made them understand that hey, uh, being able to outsource work wasn't just limited to the big uh, you know uh, multi global uh, companies where they would go and just hire like uh, a seat of maybe 150 people at a time answering their phone calls, which they still do till today. You have like, you know, these phone companies where you call them and, you know, and in these days, people have gotten so good that you can't even tell if you're speaking to someone in a different country. But what these books did back then was open people's minds to the fact that, hey, it's not just the big companies that could do this. Yes. And so a lot of my uh, competitors in the industry were focused on the big, you know, uh, the bigger guys, you know, and but I preferred to be more with the small to medium sized, uh, you know, uh, entrepreneurs who needed that help. But one of the issues we ran into was a lot of them who were coming to us, uh, they, they had this wrong preconceived notion because of what they probably read that, hey, you're going to hire somebody from a different time zone, a different culture, uh, who's going to work for you. It's not physically near you, but then they're going to deliver hundred percent how you do the work and it just be magic and rainbows just from the very beginning so what we what we had to do was uh, not only as part of the onboarding was to basically educate them that hey in order for this person who's living in different times and different culture and everything to do the work right there needs to be some form of training and to train somebody properly there needs to be you spend you know investing the time with us on back then was skype Mm, let's, choose the, let's choose a specific recurring task that you want to delegate let's re, you know walk us through how the task is done we record that session and then behind the scene someone on my uh, on my team will take that recording and turn that into an actual checklist a standard operating procedure or a procedure for for short on how the work is done but here was the issue i was facing was that back then uh the software for actually documenting these procedures and you know uh 
continuously improving them and collecting information from, from from employees to make sure that you can you know keep improving they were either enterprise level hard to use or then we were basically hacking together a bunch of different tools who were not built for that purpose just to achieve that goal. So in the back of my mind, I was like, you know what? There has to be, you know, this, you know, if I have the time, looking to building a, you know, a software like this, because I actually came from a computer science background. That's, I, that's what I studied in, in, in college. So I said, you know, maybe when I have the time, I could do this. But then I went on this podcast, um, Mixigy. I don't know if you heard about it. Mixigy is uh, the host is Andrew Warner. And he brought me on there to teach entrepreneurs based on what I was doing, how to uh, systematize their operations and basically pass on knowledge to their team and continuously yep. improve those procedures. And so I did, I did that interview. My co-founder, Jervis, who's a programmer and my current uh, CTO and co-founder at Sweet Process, listened to the podcast, reached out to me by email and said, hey, he loved what I was teaching and the framework I shared and all that, that he's trying to build an app similar to a lot of the things I was talking about. And he wanted my uh, you know, uh, opinion and stuff. So, you know, I was open to it and we had that conversation. And when we were done, I was like, dude, uh, not only do I want to give you advice, but are you open for us to be actually build this together? You know, he was excited and said, let's go ahead and do this. But I, I then told him, I said, you know what? Uh, one of the things I want to do is avoid the situation where our app ends up being as complex as these other enterprise level tools I'm trying uh, I'm, I'm trying to get my clients to use. Let us instead spend some more time uh, to interview potential customers so that we can understand what are their root issues they're all experiencing when it comes to you know this whole thing of documenting procedures and stuff like that's so like when we build our software our software will first of all be easy to use but mostly focus on those root issues that people are telling us mm -hmm. and so you know we all agreed to this and then we had over i think more than 40 or so interviews with different people from different industries we're able to get all that feedback and then use that as the basis for us to build our software. So we built the software and jumping forward into the story. Now we have over 2000 or more companies using Sweet Process. Uh, it runs the gamut from uh, uh, basically um, um, states departments in, in the U.S. using the software. Uh, you have uh, uh, what's it called? Churches using the software, hospitals using the software. I mean, you have doctors, and I mean, it it, it runs the gamut because the reality is that this problem is a horizontal problem in the sense that it's not a industry specific because to to scale any operations in any company especially when you need to depend on people to do things and do them predictably the way you want them to be done you do need to have these documents in place so that people can follow instructions and and that's what we process does it streamlines everything and makes things simple if you can't get in touch with somebody especially now post pandemic or i guess still that in the pandemic that we're in not everybody's in the office not everybody's at work people are working from home they may not be available what do you do you're wasting time if you can't figure out how to get that task done be sure to stick around to the end of the episode to find out how to find out more about sweet process where to find more about owen he has a special offer he shared with me behind the scenes here before the show started that he's going to extend to you very generous offer so be sure to stick around to the end of the show but before we hop into the spotlight story we're going to ask him for a little more advice what are some of the more challenging areas of entrepreneurship for you owen so one of the challenging areas you would see is uh basically trying to build a predictable way to get uh customers and there's so many different things out there people will tell you you know uh, do seo do you know cold calling emails do this that whatever but i'll say you know 
you know, find what works for you. And once you find something that works for you, before you jump into the next thing, try to just, I mean, I, I don't want to curse on this show, but like, go balls deep into it because, you know, uh, you want to try as get as much traction as you can from that very uh, uh, method because jumping from one thing to the other uh, because they might be shiny or new ideas it might look good but to be honest it's more of dilution of your concentration so if you find a channel that works for you uh, to acquire this customer just do everything you can to exhaust it completely before you start looking into uh, other channels and if you end up Maybe say for some reason you want to try multiple channels, just put it down to like maybe three, something that is manageable, not not not, not too much, because there's always going to be something coming out. There's always going to be one new tactic, whatever. But yeah. regardless, have a firm strategy and just, uh, you know, uh, live by that and, and move forward on it. Yeah. 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 To give it yourself the time for things to come to fruition. Everybody's impatient trying to jump to not everybody should say many. They want success right away, but things take time. I've learned the hard way. I've been doing my company since 2015. Here we are, 2023. I feel like I'm still just getting started four books later. The shows that are now probably, I don't know, 20,000 listens between the two of them. Things are moving in the right direction, but I have to stay true to the process, trust the process, and stick to it. More great advice there. I think now it is a perfect time to head into the spot. As I mentioned, we have an all-star internet entrepreneur on the show today. So I think that I found from the handbook would be over and this one is called a billion dollar company that came away with nothing and he's okay with it i'm going to read some bullet points from it and this article again is from the entrepreneur's handbook when you see something funny and want to share it you have a lot of options whatever social media streaming platforms you use maybe even linkedin if it's not too unprofessional but as the article puts at the very least posting your entertaining content can make your friends chuckle if you're lucky, it could go viral and give you 15 minutes of fame. But what have you done before social media and where would you have shared it? Josh Abrahamson has helped solve that problem. When he was a freshman in college, he and his best friend from high school launched a website called collegehumor.com. Many of you have to have heard of that because I have. People would send Josh their funny stories, pictures, and videos, and then he would put it on this site. We've moved past that kind of sharing content, but in the 90s, this was a different time in the internet. And Josh explains that promoting new websites relied on different types of marketing strategies. And in fact, he was just telling people about his website and a decidedly analog process. Quote, initially, I printed up a couple hundred flyers and went to the every urinal in the boys' dorms and hunt them all around campus, put them by the urinals. And I could see pretty quickly all this traffic was being generated at our school. So then I drove to the other schools and did the same thing. I started finding people at different schools and I would send them a t-shirt in exchange for doing it at their school. So it was literally posting flyers or funny pictures in bathrooms. That was the initial marketing for college humor. Now it says that moving to the cool kids table. College students, most of them accessing the internet for the very first time, had never seen anything like collegehumor.com before and they quickly became obsessed. So it's an innovative idea here from Josh. The website's popularity exploded and Josh and his co-founder became mini celebrities on the campus and he's described it as a surreal experience. But attention and wealth are two different things, he learned. That's an important lesson for every entrepreneur that needs to learn, particularly if they think entrepreneurship is about getting rich. 
Entrepreneurship isn't about getting rich. It's as we spoke about before. It's about solving problems. In order to solve their problems, entrepreneurships and everybody involved, these companies need to make sure people with those problems know your solution does exist. And I want to share this quote here about generating some good revenue. People always ask if I dropped out of college. I always tell them, I think they watched the social network too many times. You're mistaking the situation Mark Zuckerberg had with my situation, which was orders of magnitude different. We had a very small but cool business, and it wasn't like we were going to be millionaires. It wasn't, it was very, very much not like that. Now we're going to get into this making a bad exit on their feet, I hope, because the top of the title of the article, the title of the article, excuse me. College Humor became one of the most popular sites, but as he found out, being popular was not a guarantee of long-term success. I need to stress that with everyone listening on. Times do change. People do change. We need to stay current. A few years after graduating and moving to New York for his business, Josh and his co-founders sold the company to a famed entrepreneur named Barry Diller and Interactive Corp, a huge media conglomerate that was looking to push into the digital entertainment space. Overly excited about the potential of what they built and how it can grow with the help of them, he agreed to a deal where that company acquired the company, but 51%. The rest was with Josh's team, giving them upside, or at least that's what they saw at the time. With upside comes downside, and here's something Josh did not consider. Quote, YouTube, Facebook, they all started around that time, and we were really facing an uphill battle of trying to build the next Comedy Central or the next big thing, which is too ambitious at the time. So it was a difficult place to be. To sell a, a business with this expectation that it's going to turn into something massive and then it's not happening. He went on, as the story explains, just because he technically exited, the structure of the exit wasn't something that resulted in a private island or mojitos. It considered a gamble. He took some money off the table, but the terms of the deal also included staying with the company for five years. They turned out to be five years of frustration and struggle as College Humor's core business model of sharing other people's user-generated content, got overtaken by social media companies that were letting people share their own content. And he says, worst of all, part of College Humor's IP, the IP that got sold to the company Interactive Corp, included a small, hardly known video hosting site called Vimeo. Yup, the same Vimeo that now a public company with a market cap that, at the time of this writing, puts in value for $6 billion. However, because Josh is no longer holding a controlling interest of that company, as I shared, it was only 49% they retained. You could probably guess how much money Josh saw from Vimeo. What do you take away from this write-up, Owen? So without having the full context, because I don't know the entire situation, because there's probably a lot more you know, uh, to that. Than, but I will say the very first thing that, that stood out to me was, um, you know, how far did he go with that channel he found for getting customers? I mean, did, did, did he stop at a certain point or did he try to exhaust that thing until there was no more? You know, because the reality is I find that if, if you have that dedication to that one channel and you you have that thing working like crazy, then, you you know, it's easier to go find some you know money or whatever to invest in it because they can now basically think of it from the perspective of the investor. You go meet an investor where you, you're trying to bring money into your company and you don't really have a channel that you have all the metrics and you know exactly how how well it's working. 
right versus somebody who has that you know channel working very well it's really pumping without the investment now i'm just going to throw my money is like throwing a, a a light into gasoline right so that's one thing so i'm wondering how much of each uh understanding of his channel how work how it worked did he where was he at at that point before he got the investment right the second part too now is the controlling uh you know giving up so much control because first of all when you, when you give up so much control you know first of all again before you, when you bring on somebody as an investor into your company you're kind of married to this new person right and you know you gotta weigh decisions back and forth with them but now on top of that if they have more control that even makes things even worse because you basically become an employee in a company that you started now with less motivation to even try to do anything because you don't even have the control you need and even more frustration because when you get ideas on how to implement new stuff you cannot do it because you got to go through this red tape to you know uh, get it approved by somebody who came in as an investor who has now more control than you so all those dynamics all put together i feel like you know was the recipe i know i again i'm saying i don't have the full context but just hearing this snippet of the story that's what's standing out to me it was don't give away too much control mm-hmm. retain the most control number one and number two you know before you go seek investments make sure that you have that channel for getting customers and so on and so forth that is dialed down that if you bring money into it it's literally lighting a match on gasoline that's what you're needing the money for you know and you know that will help you even retain more control uh even after you've gotten the money that was my big takeaway as well giving up you know over 50 percent where they said their core missions of what the company was doing was all gone because they didn't have a say uh maybe a lot of times too is that the reason why an investor would want that kind of control is because they realize that they are going to come in and try to learn a lot of things and make a lot of things like do a lot of experiments to see you know what channels or what things are going to move the company forward what traction elements are going to move the company forward so that's why they feel like they want more control versus if you already have all that figured out already and you're they're basically giving you money to light uh, a match on your gasoline they don't have to worry about that. So they know something's working the way it should work. They can see all the data that is pumping. Then they don't even really need that much control. Mm-hmm. You, you get what I'm saying? So that's why it brought me to the fact that I'm thinking that they didn't have that uh, channel working the way they wanted. And that's why they had to give so much control. And now the byproduct of that company, Vimeo, worth $6 billion. And because he sold that controlling interest, he didn't have any opportunities to Enjoy the incentive. So everyone out there, if you were thinking of exiting, think long and hard if giving up controlling interest is the right move for you. It may be for some. It may not be for others. But we had an incredible analysis from our guest there. Thank you, Owen. Let's hop mm-hmm. back to you. If you could recommend one book, workshop, or tool to our community of entrepreneurs, what are you going to recommend? So the, I don't know the exact name of the uh uh, author but the book is called the goal uh g-o-a-l and so basically the whole idea of the book is being able to identify bottlenecks and constraints in your business now not only you will be able to identify them but be, being able to figure out to fix them or remove them and realizing this whole thing it's, it's a continuous improvement thing because even after you remove the bottleneck there's going to be as you grow and scale the business there's going to be a whole new bottleneck that you will experience and so that's you know reading that book is a good uh place to, to start but if you want i would i mean love to share a quick framework on how entrepreneurs yeah. can um document procedures at their company so 
first of all, you listen to this right now. Maybe you have some tasks that are, uh, you know, a lot of bottlenecks and you're you're not having employees do the way the work the way you want it so now you've realized that okay you need to start documenting procedures and the thing is where do you start so the first thing i'm going to tell you to do is to determine uh which tasks are those recurring tasks that you do uh on an ongoing basis because honestly if it's a task that is a one-time thing you don't need to document it right so that's like a project a one-time thing but if it's a recurring task now you have a bucket of recurring tasks. Now in that bucket, we're going to, before you start documenting anything, I want you to ask yourself, which tasks should I eliminate? Because you don't want to just document everything. And we don't want to just document tasks or keep doing things just because it's the way you've always done it. So there's going to be a process of el elimination. Once you're done, you're left with those required recurring tasks that you cannot eliminate, right? Now in that bucket of required recurring tasks that you cannot eliminate, there's two forms. There's one that is the income generating task, the marketing and sales, the ones that everybody's all excited about because that's how you bring in customers, right? And then the other one is more of the production side of work, how you deliver your results to your customers, right? But people might, when they want to start documenting, they might say, well, let's start with the income generating one. But I say, don't do that yet because guess what? If you do that and you're successfully able to document all that, you'll be tempted to go bring in more employees to take over that, those tasks so you can get more customers. Guess what? Now, once those more customers come in, they're going to come into the bottleneck on the production side, which is going to mean more people to be angered, to be annoyed by the fact that you're not able to deliver. So why I say that's why I say focus on those production side of things first. Now, how do you identify what tasks in the production side of things to, to work on first? Look at what is the one that is the biggest bottleneck of your time, the one that is the most annoying where anytime it comes up, it just gives you a headache. The one where every time people want to work on the task, they don't have the right information. They're always scattering looking for uh, information. The one where if you leave, everything breaks down. But that's an identification of which one you should start with. Mm -hmm. So you focus on that. How do you now document the task? I say the best way to document a task is when you want to work on the task because then your mind is in the right frame of mind to basically put the information together. The next question will be probably asking, so how much information should you go into? So what you want to do, first of all, is install in the minds of all your employees that this is going to be a continuous improvement because yep. we're going to start from version zero and keep improving over and over and over again because that's how we're going to do this. So at the time you're about to work on this task that we have identified as a bottleneck, the first thing you got to do is write down the title of the task. The title should be something that anybody in your company sees the title, they know exactly what uh, they can accomplish or how to do whatever. And then how many steps of the task as you're doing the work? So if you are working on a 10-step task, by the time you're done, you would have what I call a minimum viable procedure, which is just a fancy way of saying a procedure that has a title, the procedure and title of each of the steps. But guess what? No details is filled in just yet. So that's the first version, the outline. Now, how do you get it from an outline to some details filled in? This is where you now solicit the, uh, the feedback and cooperation of your managers and your employees on the ground. Say, hey, every time you're about to do this task, have this document right there in front of you because the job, your job is to make sure that when you're doing the task, just go in there and add in some snippet of text. It doesn't have to be an encyclopedia or anything, just some additional information there. It could be text. It could be a screenshot. It could even be a very small video for that very step. Just let's keep adding some more things in there while you're doing the work. So when they do that, 
they will obviously need to get approval from you once they've filled out some information. Once you see that stuff, you see what they've added. If you like it, you approve it. Now this is a new version of the document. So each time they are working on a task, their job is to go through, have that thing in front of them and go through and make sure it's correct. And then what's going to happen is as they're working and doing work, they're going to come across moments of uh, insight where, uh, where they, oh, I think we don't need these 10 steps anymore. We maybe need just eight steps because, you know, they get more insight while they're working, right? So they pass on that back to you and you just have to be, make sure that your eyes are on this document to keep improvement so now you've done the first biggest bottleneck now you identify the next one you do that same dance and before you know you started gradually moving from one bottleneck to the next on the production side of things and for the most part now let's assume you've documented most of them now you can start paying attention to those income generating tasks and do the same dance on there always starting from the minimum viable procedure like i, I mentioned and working with your team to to build that together and so once you have those things documented you can now start even hiring employees to take over the task because they know you know they can come in and do this marketing and sales uh, generating tasks knowing that production is covered because you've documented how the work is done and you can always get people to come in and and take over and even increase your production capacity if you want to now how can you get people more involved in this? Hey, not only do you install in that in them the mindset of continuous improvement and do, do the strategy I, I shared earlier but you also might want to incentivize them because, hey, they're working, they're getting paid to do a specific task. Now you're telling them to go ahead and document procedures. Why don't you include as part of the incentive that they are incentivized, paid or whatever, to document and improve the <laughs> to improve the documents? That, that's one way to do it. Another way to do it is whenever they have any question on how a specific task is, you can say, hey, uh, don't come and ask me a question. Go check sweet process. As we're using sweet process as a software for that, and say, hey, go check sweet process. So people now know that you know consciously after weeks of any time they go meet their manager or come to meet you and ask you for something, they're supposed to check sweet process. That now becomes a thing that's installed in their mind ahead. I'm not going to meet my manager for how work is done. I got to go check sweet process first. Now they start doing that. They start looking at sweet process. They, they start seeing all the software, the the, the, the documentation, and, and they start seeing all their their colleagues chiming in. Their co colleagues are uh, improving documents, and those documents getting approved. So they, they will always in their mind they'll be like, "Well, if my colleagues are doing this, I might as well get involved in this too, because I want my say on how I do my work to impact the work that I'm actually doing. Because I can share my my my, my feedback. I can improve these documents too. So they get they get incentivized to do that as well. So they help to improve the documents just because they're seeing their colleagues doing it they get part uh, to do it now you might also say okay i get all this i buy into all this but what if i don't have uh my employees don't have the time and even incentivizing them will make sense you can always hire what we call uh, uh process consultants there are people who their whole entire job is to come into your company look look through your company the systems figure out what needs to be eliminated and then for things that need to be improved and documented they can help you and use like a software like sweet process and go through document proce procedures and processes for how your work is done. So on the final thing I can leave on with you is the whole thing of you, you can have a procedure on how to document procedure. And, and it could just be a simple procedure that says okay, when you when you're creating a procedure, this is how you keep the title, this is how you keep the steps, this is how much information I want you to put into each step. And you know, that way they have some guidelines on how they actually document a procedure. So I hope that's framework that i shared and all these tips you know gives people um you know some means to to get started 
And if you want, uh, you know, Vincent, I can share the offer so that I, I know we're running out of time very soon. So, yeah, so I've given you all these tips and strategy. And what I want to offer you is uh, we do have, by default, if you go to our website, a 14-day trial. But just because you've listened to this uh, awesome interview so far, I want to give you an incentive. So, yes, you can go to our website. I'll give you the link first and get additional uh, uh, trial time. So instead of a 14-day default, you get an extended 28-day trial. And to get that, you go to sweetprocess.com forward slash that entrepreneur show. Just type it all together. Again, it's sweet like candy, process like process.com forward slash that entrepreneur show. Again, sweetprocess.com dot sweetprocess.com forward slash that entrepreneur show. That's where you get it from. All right. Thanks, what is it? Yeah, what a generous offer, everyone out there. Even if your company is not quite there yet, like mine, right on the cusp, all this information is great to already know, already great to possess, because when the time's right, you know where exactly to go. That's sweetprocess.com. Oh, and it's been a great show. Thank you for reaching out and joining the show. But before we go, real quick, which entrepreneur would you choose to learn from throughout history if you can expand your horizons with? That's a good question. Throughout history, hmm. I wasn't ready for this one, but uh, one of the things I, I, I give you a framework on, on how, how I learn these days is that if I have something that I'm working on, I tend to look for podcasts uh, to, to learn from because the reason why is books, which are like telling stories of how someone did something, they're great, but for a large extent, uh, they, they tend to tell you about the past. Mm -hmm. So I tend these days, if, if I'm trying to learn something I want to do now, to look for a podcast where they are talking about that specific topic because that, the person yeah. who comes in as a guest is not necessarily going to tell you everything they're doing, but they kind of give, you know, so success leaves clues. So they can leave some clues and hints mm -hmm. as to what is working for them right now on whatever thing I'm trying to learn. So I once that. I identify the person who I want to learn from, I identify the podcast, then I try to find where all the other podcasts this guy has gone to because they shared some great insight. And then I try to get like maybe 10 or so of them and listen to them. And then I begin to pick out, okay, he said this on this podcast. He said that on all other podcasts. And now he's kind of giving you the gems on all the things he's doing in real time, right? I love that choice. And thank you again for hopping on the show, Owen. And to everyone listening on, thank you for continuing to support the show and tuning in. You can learn more about me at Vincent A. Lancey on YouTube and all social media. And the show is at That Entrepreneur Show on all platforms. And until next week, stay safe, and I hope you enjoy your weeks. I'm signing off.